0: Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business news podcast from Business in Vancouver Newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. On today's show, Ken Peacock, Chief Economist of the Business Council of British Columbia. He's going to spell everything out with the Business Council's new outlook and review of the economy. Some things that we're going to keep our eyes on, especially with regards to real estate. I also want to tell everybody about our upcoming due diligence and valuation when buying panel. That's going to be February 21st at the Shangri-La Hotel. We're going to have an expert panel leading a discussion about all the steps that should guide your decision-making in business. Go to biv.com slash events for more information. And a little later on today, real estate analyst Dane Idle of Idle Insights. He's going to dive into some of those potential real estate opportunities that exist if we're willing to look beyond kind of the walls of Vancouver as well as British Columbia and take a national look at everything. So stay with us. We're going to get this conversation going with Ken Peacock right now. The Business Council of British Columbia has its latest economic review and outlook, which is zeroing in on one of the issues many are maybe going to have some mixed feelings about, the unwinding of the real estate market. It's cooling from recent highs, which could be a good thing for those le- looking to get into the market for the first time. But what impact could this have on the economy, which is so heavily tied to the sector? With us now is Ken Peacock. He's Chief Economist at the Business Council of BC. Ken, thanks for joining us on the show. Glad to be here. Thanks, Tyler. So I just keep thinking about our neighbors directly to the east over the Rockies and Alberta, and you look at what happens to an economy when it's too heavily tied and invested in one particular sector. I'm wondering what your take is right now with regards to the the slowing down of the real estate market here in Vancouver and BC and what that could potentially mean for the rest of the economy.
1: Yeah, it's a a great question, Tyler. And I think you're absolutely right. Uh, We were heavily um, dependent upon residential real estate. But the construction, the transactions, all all the activity around it, redecorating, upgrading, all this stuff for a number of years. And it really did lift BC's economic growth. And a lot of people were dependent on for their livelihood. And that has shifted. So we are calling for a slowdown in the provincial economy. But if you actually look at the way it's unfolded, much of that slowing already occurred last year in in 2018. There was a marked slowing in the provincial economy in 2018, most of which was tied to residential real estate and in also retail spending, some of which was tied to the residential real estate sector. But there was a broad slowing in consumer spending generally.
0: So with that in mind, I mean, is... The BC economy in any danger, or are we still poised to do, I guess, relatively well? Especially when looking at other jurisdictions across Canada. Yeah,
1: yeah. So the, the thing about the provincial economy is, although having said what I just said about being heavily dependent or quite dependent upon real estate, we're also fairly diversified, and I and I mean diversified in at least a couple key ways, and that's both in terms of uh, markets that we trade with. Other markets we trade more heavily with Asia than the rest of than, than the U.S. or Sort of on equal footing with the u s which is very different than other provinces in canada and we 're also diversified in terms of our industry sectors and and other areas that drive growth so yes, real estate 's important. But we have natural resources, we have film and television, we have high-tech exports, we have a very robust tourism industry, uh, service exports, uh, and most uh, also critically, transportation and, and the whole gateway sector. So we do have this diversity that provides a certain amount of resiliency.
0: In your opinion, though, I mean, if we look at the political situation Canada is facing right now with China, I, I mean, is that creating some question marks on the horizon right now for the BC economy?
1: It, it, it does. It does create some. The whole trade space is probably the biggest risk and downside risk and uh, to the, the economic outlook, both the national outlook and the provincial outlook, uh, and, and in particular, the, the risk of trade escalation, wars uh, escalating between the U.S. and China. That's a big concern. Um, China has risen to become very important in B.C.'s export base. It's our second largest export market. Still, though, it, it probably won't slip enough to really have a major impact on our export sector. there's Absolutely, there's downside risk, but uh, sort of as we were writing our outlook up, started to take a closer look at exports to India. They're growing very, very quickly. And if you look at the trajectory and the pace of growth of exports to India, after they got over that kind of 500 million mark, it's actually growing more quickly than the same profile that the escalation of exports to China went through about a decade ago. Yeah. So times are different, commodity prices, all that things are all factors. But if you just kind of think in terms of, well, perhaps exports get to this critical mass and then they kind of start to accelerate more quickly, the growth path that India is on is actually outpacing the, the similar growth path China went through a decade, decade and a half ago.
0: And if we think about trade uncertainty, I think everybody was gripped you know, for a full year with regards to the NAFTA replacement talks, the the USMCA or the CUSMA, whatever you <laughs> want to call it, uh, different names, different countries, but um, still awaiting full ratification down in the United States. They've got a, a, a more of a disparate Congress right now. What are we thinking, though, with regards to kind of more trade certainty going forward, at least with our biggest trading partner, the United States?
1: Yeah, I think there's – you raise a couple of good points. Um, it's not at all clear. It's not certain that that new trade agreement will get passed. It does have to go through, through Congress and get approved by the House and, and whatnot. So that is a bit of an open question mark. It, it could get passed. Um, I, I still think big picture, yeah, trade barriers, tariffs are negative – course, for Canada, negative for, for BC. But there will be a bit of a muddling through, even if that trade agreement doesn't get passed right away, we still will have fairly good access and the tariffs that will be imposed in the absence of a free trade agreement will not be that significant. And they still have to get rid of NAFTA as yeah. well to replace it. So, I mean, yes, there's lots to worry about, but I kind of tend to be optimistic that we'll, we'll find a way through and we won't get that badly hurt by the U.S.,
0: So my next question makes me realize just how intertwined politics is with the economy here, because I'm thinking about maybe LNG Canada. I mean, so many provincial governments, well, I should say the last two provincial governments have been tied very much to the future of LNG here in British Columbia. Now we have LNG Canada moving forward. Is this going to actually prove, you know, a lot of what the politicians wanted here, that this is going to be a big boon for the economy moving forward?
1: In short, yes. Okay. Yeah, no, right. it's so, but we'll unpack that a little bit. Yeah, no, it's absolutely going to be a big one. And in fact, in our forecast, we sort of talk about BC doing reasonably well, top of the growth pack among the provinces. We think we think about 2.3% growth this year, kind of similar to last year's performance. But without LNG going through, our growth prof- profile over the next couple of years would slip below 2%. Mm be more closely aligned with Canada. So so listeners can kind of think about LNG providing a boost that takes us above the Canadian benchmark rather than being in line with the Canadian benchmark and filling a bit of that hole that's created from the slowdown in the residential real estate sector. So it's absolutely a significant lift. And I mean, just in case people haven't made I mean, $40 billion capital investment over a number of years, largest investment in Canadian history, huge opportunity both to, to boost Canada's, or sorry, BC's exports, Canada's exports as well. Uh, but also th- th- thousands of jobs, big, big, massive construction project. There's pipelines associated with it. There's more activity in the upstream sector, so the drilling for natural gas, it re- really is a lift,
0: particularly for the northern half of the province. So it, do you see then there's a potential for workers within the construction industry that see a slowdown in real estates? Uh, they could get work here if they are willing to migrate? Because or, or, what I'm getting at though is we do have a lot of labor constraints in British Columbia, and I'm wondering if this Massive project could be stymied somewhat by you know the lowest you know unemployment rate in the entire country.
1: Yeah, no, it's a it's a great point. Um, it, the, <clears throat> there's not much doubt that labor constraints are going to add complexity to the project. The the, the operators are sophisticated inter- international operators. They've been examining the whole where are labor going to come from, where work is going to come from issue for some time. So I'm confident they will be able to find the the workers they need to <clears throat> complete that project, but Ab- absolutely right. I mean, labor markets in BC are very, very tight. Some construction people may be able to shift to that non-residential space but if you're in the residential space, it's not clear that those trades always yeah. go easily easily across and there are some, you know, some specific trades that they're going to need in, in larger numbers but the general tightening of the labor market, you know, it's not only the LNG project that is facing challenges but these hiring difficulties are becoming more widespread and, you know, data from StatsCan Suggests that 4.7, almost five percent of all jobs are open so are, are vacant right now and you compare that to other provinces two and a half to three percent in other provinces so something in bc we really do have tight job markets um and it's going to be a challenge for for many many companies in different sectors
0: well maybe i'll, I'll spill the beans just a little bit for listeners that uh, want to pick up a newspaper next week but uh, we are going big on this whole you know talent issue that we're facing right here in british columbia next week's edition it's going to be a big package and i think we'll have the opportunity to delve deep into that the other thing I always have to ask you about this, I'm always fascinated about this. But uh, what do you think the plans are with Bank of Canada uh, going forward in the year? Uh, we had, I think, what three hikes last year. Mm-hmm. It looks as if uh, they're, they're going to be taking their foot off the gas uh, for the foreseeable future. Well, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's been, there's been. Uh, I would hesitate to say flip flop, but there's been definitely a shift in stance. Uh, from the Bank of Canada kind of back and forth on whether or not to tighten hike interest rates or just leave them alone and Three months ago, it looked like they were firmly in the tightening camp. We're going to continue to tighten, and then equity markets got a little wobbly in December, to say the least. Uh, and it became apparent that the bank was more concerned about the growth trajectory going forward. They decided to leave their interest rates steady in December, and I think you're I think you're spot on. There's a good chance that they will be on hold, uh, and the the decision to raise rates will be, as they, they say themselves, very data dependent, so they'll be looking at the most recent data. Uh, but there's absolutely a concern on the bank's behalf that high debt loads amongst Canadian households uh, are, are a concern. So even small income interest rate increases are, are having an impact and if you look at the profile of retail spending and consumer spending in Canada but in BC uh, particularly just because I know the BC data better really did slow down last year and part of that story yes was real estate but part of it was also uh, higher interest rates so I think you're right they're going to be very cautious we still think there will be two hikes over okay. the course of the year but I would look for them to be very 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 cautious and maybe on hold rates right for the first half of this year.
0: And if we wait into the second half of next year, maybe just pick through your memory banks. Uh, what does maybe the impact of a federal election, or at least the prospect of an upcoming federal election, have on the economy? Is there maybe a, a holding pattern that sometimes businesses will take? They want to see how things flesh out. Yeah,
1: there's a bit, there's a bit of a cautionary approach, sure. I think, uh, but for the for the most parts, businesses are planning, uh, looking at where they're going to invest, looking at any changes or expansion opportunities they're going to take. So, I do agree with you that elections are. A bit bit of a cause for pause but i wouldn't expect a, a whole b- bunch of change and differentiation uh, just just based on the election but there is that uncertainty in advance of it there's
0: not much doubt okay excellent ken always a pleasure thanks for joining us on the show today you're
1: very welcome thanks john
0: that is ken peacock he is the chief economist at the business council of british columbia next up we're going to speak to dane Idle from Idle insights all about real estate but on a national level And with us now, it's Dane Idle. He's founder and lead analyst at Idle Insights. Dane, thanks for
2: joining us on the show. No problem, Tyler. Excited to be here today.
0: Okay, so previous appearances, uh, we've had kind of a debate about what's going on in the real estate market in Vancouver, where whether it's condos, what the future holds for maybe what is called in the industry as a death cross. And so the question is, what other patterns are you seeing in other parts of Canada Let's start with Toronto because right now it seems to be in a bit of a period of stability. But is there any cause for concern if you take a look below the surface?
2: Sure. Um, like I say, we we appreciate you having us back here. We are kind of I tell insights is releasing more of a, a national conversation, if you will. So first here, um, we'll start out with Toronto. It, it it has been fairly stable over the last year, and a lot of uh, economists or analysts kind of use historic indicators to project the future or, or even the current circumstances. We really like to dive a little bit deeper and give a real prognostication of how the market's going to look in the next overall year and and, and even further out than that. So what we're seeing here, um, initially, the Toronto market, I mean, it it just absolutely took off in the first quarter of 2016. It grew one hundred and ten or one hundred and ten thousand dollars. I mean, almost overnight, one hundred and ten thousand dollars in everybody's pocket for equity. So uh, ultimately, it the the market there on an aggregate average sale price. So that's aggregate means it's including the detached market, the condo market, the townhouse market, basically the overall market if you will. It it eventually peaked out here at 920,000 in April of 2017. Since then it's 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 taken a hit and retract back right around that 810 pricing threshold. Seems to be that new high that the market just can't get above. So where the market sees that 920 uh, drop down to the 810 as maybe that was the drop and it's all over, we're saying that there there's still, you know, further room for this market to con- uh, find a correction for itself, if you will. So um, because of that monumental lag up, we eventually will see kind of a retesting of that pricing threshold. So we do have reports available for sale now on our website. um, And and it really goes into where we expect prices to be, a year, two years out, so those reports uh, are for sale. now, when we look at the technical pattern, it's basically showing as a flag or a pennant. Um Now, that means that it's usually a continuation of the uptrend, if you will. Because of the mitigating factors of the government stepping in with stress tests, that kind of changes the rules of the game. So, you know, a usual flag or a pennant that would continue to go grow higher, it's kind of a misnomer. Now it's just a pause and a question in the market with this 810 pricing threshold being the highest and it can't get above it. It's tested it three or four times and it just can't seem to get any growth. So we, we took a look at the inventory, the listings and the demand versus the sales of the Toronto market. And that's where we really are kind of confident that we're going to see a reversal of fortune for the Toronto market and it will be going lower longer. The inventory is staying on the market for a lengthier period of time where it used to get gobbled up rather quickly. And, and I mean, over the, over the last few years, it, it makes sense. A lot of the major markets in Canada were going up. And now we're seeing a reversal of that fortune. Toronto is no exception. It will continue to go lower with decreasing demand and increasing inventory, which of course leads to lower prices longer term on the aggregate overall market of the greater Toronto area. So last time you're here, we we're
0: discussing the fact that it appears as if we uh, here on the west coast are entering this so-called death cross. Correct. Uh, tell us a little bit uh, for those that maybe didn't tune in for that one. What is this death cross, and is Toronto facing that same? Particular sort of circumstances.
2: Yeah, actually, um, so interesting enough. With with Greater Toronto, those that's, you know the ITel Insights clients, they've been privy to this information earlier. So now we're we're doing a national release, like I said earlier. So yes, Toronto actually is in a death cross. It's been in a death cross basically since April of 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Now, what's significant about that, where Vancouver has been in a death cross seven times previous, this is the eighth time. This is only the fourth time that greater Toronto area has been in this dreaded death cross situation. So um, that's kind of why we don't see any increased momentum into that market. All signs are turning into it, 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 it going negative for longer, um, with respects to, you know, quick sale times and, and prices, obviously as well.
0: So let's say I am a West Coast investor. I'm not necessarily interested in moving to Toronto or anything right. like that. Do you think now is the time then to? keep my eye on the ball, see what's going on over there, see if there's any opportunities that might present themselves that might be interesting beyond what we know what's going on ho- over here in Vancouver.
2: You know what, honestly, uh, for Toronto, I, w- I would still hold off yep. on on a, on entering into that market. We will definitely see a, a softening and, and, you know, when there's less competition, prices naturally follow down. So, you, you know, I, I would anticipate that you do have a couple more years with the Toronto market before you really start to see a good entry point, a real opportunity, if you will. Now, once again, there's different thought processes for the average home home buyer versus the investor. So I mean, home buyers, there's still that situation of your financial restraints going forward. If you have made good money, you qualify for a good property, you like that property, you can see yourself living there 10 years, please go ahead, pull that trigger because 10 years from, from this point, you'll be very happy that you did, plus you paid off your own uh, mortgage in the meantime, you're building equity as we go. If you're the investor, if you're looking for uh, for an entry point, there there's uh, greener pastures around uh, uh, or over the next hill, if you will. So just uh, bide your time, and uh, there will be that entry point.
0: Well, I'm curious what's going on, say, to our neighbors directly to the east in Alberta, specifically in Fort Mac. Uh, Fort McMurray is devastated by those wildfires a couple of years back. And we've spoken a lot on the show about what kind of potential economic impact that would have on that region. And I'm wondering if it's manifesting now with regards to real estate or if it's been manifesting already.
2: Yeah. um, Fort McMurray is a very... Interesting area. I mean, technically speaking, when we when we uh, do the ITel Insights charts, it, it, it it's it's quite the chart. So I mean, we see a rapid rapid run up basically from two thousand and six right till two thousand and twelve. I mean, Fort McMurray was going through a growth phase like it, it hadn't seen ever. Um, now, what's interesting about this uh, kind of just as we 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 finished off on Toronto. There was a rapid run-up between basically two, May of 2006 and uh, over the next year or so, we gained $110,000 again in value, which is odd because there was no real psychological testing of those values or those prices during that period of time. It was just, heck yeah, let's invest in Fort Mac. And prices just went all the way to the zenith of uh, in May of 2012 at 660000 What followed was just bloodletting, if you will. Um, I mean, $300,000 loss of equity over the last, you know, the Three years uh, that preceded it. So currently, in May of 2018, we saw prices hit for the second time of 350 thousand. So from 660 all the way to 350 is uh, is quite devastating for that for that area in particular, especially for investors or or even uh, honestly the whole any homeowner there has been hurt with their equity position for sure. So um, the the good news, the 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 fantastic news on the horizon is because where we are, we're right. We've tested that 350 number. couple of times, like I've said, we're more around that 375 pricing threshold. And, and it seems that it can't go any lower. So we look back and that's actually the takeoff point of 2006. So psychologically, it had to come back and retest those levels that it shot through like water through a tissue. Now it's coming back and saying, were we really worth it then? Are we really worth it now? And as you say, the forest fires took it was you know devastating. The oil patch kind of drying up, you know, prices uh, uh, of oil dropping. That that was you know didn't help the situation in any way, shape, or form. Um, so so it, the fundamentals, if you will, are not back into Fort McMurray yet. But that's how you honestly pick a bottom. Um, the fundamentals will eventually show up there over the next couple of years, is what we're predicting and um it, it is starting to play itself out in the real estate market w- when you start to read the tea leaves with the charts here so uh, we go to the inventory and the sales once again and I mean the listings are actually starting to sell for really the first time since uh, 2008 um, the the inventory it, 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 i mean it's 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 starting to dwindle the demand is definitely picking up for the first time since. Let's call it, you know, 2010, um, the demand has picked itself up off the floor. Now, is it running through the roof? Absolutely not yet. Um, That will be over the next four or five years. We're going to probably experience another growth phase. But what happens in the meantime is that recapturing of of equity or new equity, if you're willing to be an investor and and, and step in when there's chaos. But inevitably, when there's chaos, there is opportunity. So that's what we're alerting people that there is an opportunity out there.
0: So I I had a friend, uh, he... Wants to keep living in Vancouver, so but he also wanted to build an equity. So his idea was uh, buy in Calgary and then just build up equity there, rent it out, and right. continue living in Vancouver. Would a smart idea to maybe look at what's going on in Fort McMurray and kind of realize that maybe something similar could unfold? You'd be able to build up a lot of equity relatively quickly?
2: Correct. Um So the interesting thing, I mean, everyone, it, 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 it's that historical... um Interest in Calgary and Edmonton. So when you think Alberta, those are the two main cities. And and quite frankly, I I was no different until we, we took a look at Alberta's overall aggregate price. And I mean, it, it had dropped over the last three years. So inevitably, my thought was, well, Calgary or Edmonton had to have surely dropped quite substantially for this to to have an effect on the overall province, because those are the main two features. Well, at, at the peak in May of 2012, Fort McMurray was selling well above Calgary a- aggregate prices. So um, as far as real estate goes, yeah, Fort McMurray was the heavyweight and kind of still is in Alberta. So... Um, everyone that had invested in Calgary and Edmonton did very well. So that's where you talk to your friends and your family. And you know, 10 years ago, I invested in Calgary and I'm very happy I did so. Calgary has fallen off from the zenith in their pricing, but not to the effect of Fort McMurray. So for strictly an investment purpose for myself, I wouldn't put a dollar into Fort McMurray before I would put a dollar into Calgary. Interesting. Interesting.
0: So let's also maybe go even further east. Uh, Halifax, that's an interesting market there. And uh, there's one, I, I think, notable event. Uh, they'll be getting a CFL team. Right. Is this going to have any sort of impact on maybe even the psychology of the market there?
2: Excellent. Um, yeah, actually, I mean, it definitely has a psychological effect. It marks Halifax as one of the major cities across Canada. Um, now, it, it, it's been that way for the universities front for, for a number of years. There's, there's a number of good universities out there. And so the, the fundamentals are in place in Halifax, which is you know probably going to be a little bit more of an agreeable thing as opposed to even maybe say Fort McMurray because it, the the up hasn't happened yet. People could understand or rationalize why Halifax will will increase in price going forward. So this might be a, a bit of an easier transition if you're looking for a, a, a no-brainer investment, I guess, if you will. Now, what's technically going on on the real estate aggregate prices once again here in in Halifax and the Dartmouth area as well is it, it, i mean it's it's simple for a chartist it's basically a divergent trend what we're seeing is lower highs put in and higher lows consistently put in so inevitably that divergent trend will will meet in the middle of kind of a point of a triangle, a sideways triangle, if you will. And that price point we're anticipating being around 300,000. Now, in May of 2017, um, Halifax had peaked at 320,000. Um, and, we're, and once again, we're seeing lower highs put in 315, 312, 310. And, and then we're seeing higher lows put in from the, you know, steadily from 250. And now we're at 275 and, and it's going higher. So that convergence point will meet right around the 300 pricing threshold. And, you know, for the reasons we kind of stated here earlier, there's really only two ways where places a market can go is either up or down or sideways. I guess there's three ways you could go sideways. But in real estate, that doesn't happen for too, too long unless you're in a selling range, which is what we're seeing in Vancouver and Toronto. Eventually, they will fill out that selling range and then it's in a growth cycle again. So we're anticipating Halifax being in that growth cycle. Imminently. I mean, we're talking within the next six months or so it will break this divergent trend. We're anticipating it going up, um, so you will see a break of that 320 historical pricing threshold and then you're truly through a growth phase. Um, so w- once again, inventory versus sales, which is the fundamentals of the technicals, if you will. Um, and, and, and we're seeing you know, supply dwindle and, and it's back basically to uh, you know, the 2004 levels, 2003 levels. And that's when the prices were already increasing. We could even anticipate seeing the supply levels, the the list available active listings back to the early two thousand and one, two thousand and two levels, when the prices last really broke its selling range. And I mean, those that were in the market, or or were investors, or just even homebuyers or homeowners, sorry, um, experienced a, a, a real lift in their equity. That's what we anticipate happening again. The demand will come from. I mean, once again, we mentioned the good universities in the neighborhood. Um, those prices are affordable, and, and so those students are choosing to stay there, set up roots, and, and raise a family and, and, and see the prices increase, as opposed to a young person that graduates UBC or SFU. The prices are almost unsustainable or unachievable right out of graduation. So you have to rent, and, and and there's a lot of factors of life that happen in that meantime, whereas you could almost just step out of university, get a job, and get a get a mortgage qualification because the average sale price is right around $300,000. Versus, you know, Vancouver, where, where it's nowhere near that anymore. So,
0: what's your take, Dane? Uh, there's fascinating stuff going on with real estate all over Canada, but does Vancouver still come out on top with regards to everybody's just obsessed with it here? That's, is is there still kind of we can still at least take that mantle away from you, the other Canadians?
2: You absolutely got it. I mean, Vancouver is always uh, the real estate here is a hot button issue. It's 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 morning coffee. It's the water cooler talk. Everyone likes to uh, to know about it. And once again, for those that haven't uh, tuned in earlier, we do anticipate Vancouver to uh, to to break its divergent trend um, in roughly early first part of uh, 2020. And that'll be right around that 1.6 mark, if you will. And then that will send us ultimately lower down to the 1.4. So um, once again, we have the reports available on all these areas that we mentioned here today. And uh, just visit itellinsights.com. But as I was speaking with a colleague uh-
0: Everybody in Vancouver has an opinion on that, so i 'm sure uh, you 'll get lots of a flurry of emails and, and phone calls uh, disagreeing vehemently about your
2: opinion you got it you know actually it 's interesting um, that's that 's kind of the majority of thought when we, when we talk to, uh, to different uh, radio stations and media outlets about this is that but that's that 's really not the prevailing thought that that at least it transpires through the emails that get that get to me. Um, it, it's really an appreciation of taking a different approach to the real estate market and, and actually starting to be able to read the tea leaves. The old colloquial uh, wisdom was your crystal ball is as good as mine. And that sufficed for a long time in real estate markets. Uh, we believe that we've uh, kind of cracked a nut and found the river that runs through uh, every real estate market with Once again, the technical fundamentals of the market. So, I mean, using psychological price testing, price valuing, and and then seeing the supply demand figures and, and not telling the public or clientele where the market has been rather than where it has been projecting it forward. And and it has worked out for us uh, over the last few years that uh, ITAL Insights have been around. Well, Dan, we like the
0: data-driven stuff, and we really do appreciate you joining us on the show
2: today. No problem, Tyler. Like I said, anytime. I really enjoy uh, meeting with you and speaking on the BIV podcast.
0: Excellent. That's Dane Itel. He's founder and lead analyst at ITEL Insights. And that's it for the show today. We're going to be back tomorrow. For now, you can find our archives on Apple Podcasts as well as Stitcher, and we also encourage you to share with your friends and leave a review. It's going to help other like-minded people find this podcast. For now, I'm Tyler Orton, and thanks for listening.